In a way, hacking used to be simple. Getting hacked mostly meant data was stolen from your computer. Now, in a connected world where all kinds of household and personal items are considered smart, it seems like practically any object can be hacked. Your TV, your watch, your speaker, your refrigerator. And now, a technology with an increasing number of attack surfaces. Your car. Or more specifically, your connected car. You've got cars that are connected, uh, soon connected to each other, but connected to the cloud, uh, connected to the infrastructure. You've got autonomous systems, uh, increasingly technology that allow the vehicle in many situations to drive itself. You've got ride-sharing services, um, and you've got aggregated transport, really, of all kinds that are adding incredible complexity and risk at a really rapid pace. This is Lindsey Brook. He's the editor-in-chief of SAE's Automotive Engineering Magazine and Autonomous Vehicle Engineering Magazines. The publications cover automotive technology and product development, including what's going on in these connected cars. SAE develops standards for engineers in the automotive and commercial vehicle industries. And full disclosure, they own tech briefs. And Lindsay says you can expect about 250 million connected cars worldwide in the next few years. These cars can communicate with other vehicles. They can be sent software updates from the manufacturer via the cloud. Some cars can even help you get your coffee. Since December 2018, GM has equipped about 3 million cars with a free in-dash system called Marketplace, which lets a driver or passengers order and pay for things from places like Starbucks, McDonald's, and gas stations. The more you open up internal parts of a system to this connectivity, the bigger the chance that those vulnerabilities are accessible from the outside. What if you could gain access to the personal data in the infotainment system? What if you could use that same infotainment system as a way in to rewrite firmware and stop the brakes of a car? With greater connectivity, the threat surface expands. And about those multiple attack surfaces I mentioned, there's a lot. There's also the car companies themselves the tier one suppliers who integrate systems like telematics into the vehicles. Here's Lindsay again. They're all part of this uh, potential threat surface or a threat vector that's out there right now. So it really goes beyond the vehicle. So how exactly are automotive cybersecurity vulnerabilities exposed? And what can engineers, automakers, and the average person do about it? In this episode of Here's an Idea, we'll talk with researchers who found weaknesses in today's connected cars. Then. We'll talk more with editor Lindsey Brook and cybersecurity experts about the teamwork involved in keeping today's vehicles as secure as possible. So, here's an idea. Car hacking. The thing about cybersecurity is we don't really think about it if the technology we have is doing its job. If your car is up and running, if your laptop is working... If your credit card transactions are legitimate, it's when the connections break that we start to notice how exposed we really are. Chris Valasek was interested in this kind of exposure and was one of the few thinking early on about cybersecurity in cars. I'm 36 years old, so I think everyone kind of my age had like a Lamborghini poster or two in their walls, right? But yeah, you know, I was doing computer hacker stuff for so long and then wanted to do something different and cars seemed really interesting and they were becoming more computerized, you know, as time went on. So it was a good logical step. Chris had a pretty scary way of demonstrating the vulnerability of a vehicle and the driver inside it. A few years ago, in the summer of 2015, Chris and his friend and colleague, Charlie Miller, 
left Andy Greenberg, a writer for Wired magazine, trapped on the Interstate 64 on-ramp in St. Louis. Okay, hold on tight. Hold on. Oh, This audio you're hearing is from a video that Wired posted on their site. Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek had just cut the brakes on Andy's car, a 2014 Jeep Cherokee. Using a combination of laptops, Sprint cell phones, and network security expertise, the duo managed to hack a Jeep Cherokee while Andy Greenberg sat helplessly in the driver's seat. Along with cutting the vehicle's transmission, Chris and Charlie were able to control a variety of functions, including dashboard commands, steering, brakes, and the radio. Even the central display showed a picture of the hackers in tracksuits. You gotta have the matching tracksuits. Although Chris and Charlie had fun with their demo, the two had a serious mission behind all the madness. They wanted to show how exposed these vehicles were to an attack. With connected cars like the 2014 Jeep Cherokee, even basic operations like braking run through a central computer. The Jeep Cherokee, in fact, had an internet-connected infotainment system and computer in the dashboard called Uconnect, which became the point of entry for the hackers. So, you know, you have this radio in your car, and to most people, it just shows you your maps or your radio stations or what's playing on, on the CD player. But, you know, a lot of these things have some level of connectivity, and that means they have a cellular modem in it that communicates to the outside world. So, you know, we figured out, hey, if we're able to connect to this thing and find different ways around the vehicle, which was challenging to say the least, it took us many months. The car's internal communication system is known as the Controller Area Network, or CAN, and it carries information to various electronic control units, or ECUs, that handle functions like braking and steering. By breaking into the car over the cellular network, the two-man team could then send fake messages to the CAN bus. Chris and Charlie were able to remotely command the Jeep to blast music, honk the horn, or even cut the brakes. How could they do all this exactly? Was there one big vulnerability that was exploited? Or was it a few? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's kind of a few different pieces. Um, the first being that we could talk to this car by using a cell phone just because we were on the same network. So the network was Sprint that the car used, and we had, you know, a burner phone that we bought from Walmart, and we were able to talk to cars. That shouldn't happen, right? And, and lo and behold, they, they fixed that. Um, additionally, there was code on the head unit uh, on the radio in the car that permitted us to remotely kind of gain access. And from there, even internally, we were able to reprogram portions of other computers on the car that touched the network that could talk to things like steering and braking. So as you see, it's kind of multifaceted. There's not really one single thing. It was a chain of events that permitted us to do this. The reason Chris and Charlie were able to hack the Jeep Cherokee boils down to three steps or three key vulnerabilities. Number one, having any cell phone on a network able to talk to a vehicle is generally a bad idea. Sprint actually shut down the port that Chris and Charlie used to communicate with the vehicle. That was probably the best mitigation technique, it turns out. There should be no reason that a random phone should be able to talk to a vehicle, Chris told us. Number two, knowing what all the code does on a system that talks to the outside world. Chris and Charlie exploited a service that allowed them to execute commands on the head unit with no authentication required. Number three, the hackers were able to alter the binary code that was run on the piece of the car that could talk to critical pieces of the automobile, like braking, steering, and acceleration. That shouldn't happen, and techniques like code signing need to ensure that any new code is coming from a trusted source. The most vulnerable points of entry in a connected car 
are components like the telematics control unit, which tracks the vehicle, or the infotainment system, anything that has an internet connectivity. Those access points need to be secured. As Chris and Charlie proved with these points of entry, you don't even have to approach the vehicle to do damage. If there's an open port, you can launch an attack over Wi-Fi, connect, push data through a vulnerable channel, and launch code to turn on the wipers, blast the music, or something far worse. Guys, I need the accelerator to work again. That was Andy, still on the highway. To patch the demonstrated vehicle vulnerabilities, automaker Chrysler Fiat later recalled 1.4 million of its vehicles. And they took the news pretty well, considering the fact that two guys hacked into their car with a cell phone. We talked to them about nine months before we, we kind of talked about this publicly. Um, so we would go and say, we found this. And, you know, they, were, they, they played the cards pretty close to their chest. So they would say, like, okay, thanks. But, you know, at the end of the day, they, they were as cool as you could be about it. You know, they didn't try to sue us or, or prevent us from, you know, publishing our research. No one likes kind of dirty laundry air in public, but I think they were pretty grateful about the whole situation. Chrysler Fiat recalled its vehicles and fixed their vulnerability. Problem solved, right? Not quite. Hackers, good and bad, are always trying to find ways into a connected system. In 2014, the year before the GPAC, Chris and Charlie were presenting at an information security conference known as DEF CON. One person in the crowd was Stacy Janes. Stacy is currently the chief security architect of the Connected Transport Division at the Netherlands-based software security company, Erdetto. Back then, he was a professional ethical hacker for the company. And I used to go to Chris and Charlie's talks because they were quite informative and entertaining. The year before they hacked the Jeep, they talked about vehicle architectures and they, um, they, at the end of it, they showed this picture of this Jeep and they said, we just bought this, see you guys next year. And I knew then, I mean, you don't make that promise on that stage without knowing something. This is Stacy. When connectivity first started in the automotive industry, it was in the in-vehicle infotainment system, the same component Chris and Charlie were able to exploit. Now, Stacy says the car is becoming more like a personal computer or a mobile device, so there are more ways to exploit that connectivity. So what are the next ways to break into modern vehicles? Are there other ways inside? And what's possible once an attacker's in? Stacy sees over-the-air updates, or OTAs, as a major concern. With over-the-air updates, the original equipment manufacturer, or OEM, has the ability to remotely send software updates to one of their vehicles. In any field, in any type of connected environment, the update mechanism is kind of the holy grail of really what you want to get out. But if you take over the OTA system, you can keep updating the system and you can even block out the OEM or the whoever owns that service from fixing it without getting physical access. What could an attacker do with this kind of holy grail? Stacy walks us through a possibility. As an attacker, what I would want to do is take an ECU with an OTA client on it take it out of the vehicle, put it on a bench, and start working at it and see if I can get the client to attack the server because the server trusts the client, so I'll be able to get more done using that client. In other words, if an electronic control unit could be updated over the air, is there a way to make malicious changes that can push new software and new commands to the vehicle? It could be just software like an app or it could be firmware for one of the ECUs. Now imagine a scenario where I have taken over control of the OTA system. And we've seen this in a personal computer market. We've seen it in the mobile market on and off. Now I can push malicious applications to your head unit. 
or I can push malicious software to a telematics device. One type of malicious software is ransomware. When ransomware first began appearing in the early 90s or so, it was against individuals and their individual devices. Someone saying, I've encrypted all of your baby pictures, and you can't get them back unless you give me money. But ransomware is becoming increasingly sophisticated, to the point where the threat has created an industry, says Stacy. Ransomware attackers are seeking out bigger targets, where system downtime is a serious problem. Places like hospitals, control centers for critical infrastructure, and perhaps soon enough, cars. In the automotive industry, hackers will likely not target individuals, says Stacy. They'll go after somebody bigger, with a bigger return on investment, the OEM. Chris and Charlie showed that with the G-Pack. Do something simpler. I just have to make the vehicle an environment you do not want to be in. So let's say you start your two-year-old car in the morning and the IVI screen is flashing white to red and the audio system is turned all the way up full playing some music you don't like and you can't turn either one of them off. Well, the car still works, but you're really not going to get in that vehicle and drive it. It's highly distracting. It's an annoying environment and you think it's wrong, it's broken. So what you'll do is you'll call the dealer and they'll tow the vehicle to the dealership. So at that point, the dealership has... 10 or 20 or 100 vehicles roll in on the same day with the exact same problem. And then you contact the OEM and say, you have 100 dealerships, each with 50 to 100 cars, all with the exact same problem. And then you can just make up a story at that point. This is what I've done to your vehicles. Give me $5 million. I will fix it. I will leave you alone after that. You don't have to pay anything. You can keep quiet. Or I will go to the press. I'll destroy your brand. I'll freak people out. They'll be all over the news. Lindsay Brook, the SAE editor, who we talked to at the beginning of the episode, agrees. They're probably not going to hack my private car because what can they get out of me? But they could hack 10,000 General Motors pickup trucks at the same time they go to General Motors and say, we're going to make this look really ugly for you in the public. We're going to make uh, your vehicles lock their occupants in or um, turn their windshield wipers on or be stuck in first gear. It's not that they can do all of this stuff, but there's a lot of these things that Miller and Valasek prove that you can do remotely. And uh, so the worst thing would be for a bad guy to go to, and these could be multi multinational players, uh, could go to a major corporation and do something bad that would affect hundreds of thousands, if not millions of customers, and really uh, diminish their stock price, you know, hit their stock price hard, give them a lot of bad PR, and cause a lot of problems. The most worrying threats for both automotive manufacturers and researchers like Stacey Janes and Chris Valasek involve driver control. And there won't be worse PR for a company than if a driver in a connected vehicle gets injured or killed. That's where Chris Valasek focuses his energy currently. Now at Cruise, GM's self-driving car startup, Valasek and his partner, Charlie Miller, in fact, still work on securing today's increasingly sophisticated cars by exposing their vulnerabilities. For me, the most concerning types of attack are ones that can involve physical safety. So, you know, a remote attack that could, you know, alter the steering wheel angle or uh, turn on the brakes or uh, make the acceleration increase. Those are the most concerning to me because they deal with physical safety and potential human harm. So those are the things when I'm securing cars, uh, I focus on. So my day is really looking at everything from system level stuff. Uh, how does this car communicate to the outside world uh, and how can I secure it to down to the nitty gritty details about, hey, this piece of hardware needs to have these physical security features on it or these type of chips that we know do secure operations. So basically everything under the sun 
um, we focus on securing, uh, you know, our driverless future. What would be the motive of someone hacking a car? Motive, like anything else, is dependent on the person, says Chris. For a new market like self-driving cars, perhaps the motive is to disrupt a market where there's already a slight fear factor, to place maximum pressure on an OEM. Or maybe the motives are more nefarious. You could imagine, I don't know, a country or organized crime group wanting to do something like this to try to assassinate someone or listen in what they were doing or so on. But I'm not really sure why people would do it. We just want to make sure that it's really, really hard to do. So what kinds of attacks can we actually expect? A ransomware message on your display? A remote assassin cutting your brakes? Someone breaking into your car and discovering your go-to Starbucks order? If you want to know what the most realistic attacks are, says Stacy, you have to follow the money. Their biggest threat is anything that involves money. Someone stealing stuff, whether it's data or proprietary information for a competitive advantage. Someone harming your brand to you know, either shut you down, take a competitive edge, or just to make you pay them money. But when we see other industries, it's, it's always about someone taking advantage of a security hole somewhere to make money either from the customers of that provider or from the provider themselves. So I think anything that relates to money is going to be the key driver because it's the easiest one to quantify. In January of 2019, I went to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And after seeing everything there from ping pong playing robots to self-cleaning smart cat litter boxes, I saw a variety of companies promising automotive security. So many booths at the show had a flashy demonstration to show off their product's capabilities. Trillium Secure, a California company, brought in a car sporting a confident message on its hood, Cyber Secured. Caramba Security, based in Israel, had remote control-sized cars autonomously whizzing around a track at CES. Caramba led me through a car hacking demo where I was able to send malicious commands with a push of a button, at first at least. But now, when they try to hack, nothing happens. Why is that? Why is that? Because now when he send the command, okay. <laughs> when he send the command, nothing happens, just uh, the sensor. Sure. Uh, it's blocked, Karamba blocked it. So the car is safe, the driver is safe, they can go home, nothing can happen. The hacker is frustrated because he doesn't know what happened. Mm -hmm. But the OEMs get a message to his central operation center saying, hey, someone tried to hack your cars now. Karamba blocked it, he says. And Karamba wasn't the only cybersecurity company at CES promising to block attacks, with demos to prove it. At CES, I stopped by to visit Stacy Jane's company, Erdetto, which had a vehicle simulator where I could sit in the driver's seat and experience what it's like to be hacked. Or more specifically, to have your wipers go on when you're driving full speed on a virtual racetrack. You can hear me here picking up speed in the background, as a representative from Erdetto guides me through a demonstration of their vSentry product, a way of stopping hacks using an artificial intelligence engine. Yeah, so this one is an example of an attack on the CAN bus. This one is an example of injecting malicious software. And so you can see over here that vSentry is, is catching those and defending against them. Erdetto, based in the Netherlands, creates technology designed to ensure that what an OEM shipped is what remains in a vehicle. Here's Stacey Janes again. Our technology is what's inside the telematics unit and says, okay, you just broke in, you found a vulnerability, congratulations, and you just got in. 
but we're going to stop you from making any changes or stealing any data or adding anything, uh, you know, leaving anything behind. Or even if it's an OTA client and you got and you hacked into it and you sent down, you know, software that shouldn't be there, we can ensure that what the OEM shipped is what the OEM, you know, is what stays there. With dozens of automotive cybersecurity companies like Erdetto, Trillium Secure, and Caramba Security out there promising to hack-proof your car, a journalist like Lindsey Brook is hesitant to pick who's best. I think my skepticism is just in not all of them are, are going to be leading edge. Not all of them are going to be kind of a tier at a tier one level. There'll be shakeouts. You know, there'll be players that come in and there'll be big players that buy little players. There'll be little players that somehow aren't funded uh, adequately and they drop off the table. There'll be new startup players and emerging players that come out of nowhere and just like we've seen in automotive become dominant because they've got a technology. This is a very dynamic space, automotive cybersecurity. Erdetto, for example, has already teamed up with the company SafeRide to use its vCentury artificial intelligence technology. With such a changing, unpredictable space like the cybersecurity landscape, manufacturers are often looking to achieve a kind of security baseline to follow a set of agreed-upon rules and best practices. One way to secure the connected car is to bring everybody in, industry experts, security researchers, and the manufacturers themselves. A roundtable where key players can iron out essential protections, a standard. The Automotive Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or AutoISAC, is a non-profit information sharing organization, one that's created a number of vehicle cybersecurity standards through a collaboration between tier one suppliers, industry partners, and auto manufacturers. Through its many standards, AutoISAC drills down, for example, into the best practices for data privacy or how to protect components from electronic controls to antennas. Some of this hardware is really kind of dumb hardware that really isn't at fault if there's a hack. But some of it's smart hardware. Uh, more and more uh, transmitters, more and more sensors are having smarts attached to them, um, processors and circuit boards attached to them so they can think for themselves. And so the industry is really looking down to that sub-sub-tier level you know, for guidance uh, in terms of standards, for security measures, for you know, bulletproofing all of this so we won't have to worry about this as consumers. Another standards body is SAE, where Lindsay Brook works. SAE's J3061 standard outlines a set of recommended practices for cybersecurity, including incident response and how to develop secure vehicle systems through all cycles of the design. J3061 is the world's first automotive recommended practices, you know, a set of recommended practices that are offered to the industry to be able to work on cybersecurity issues. So you got to start somewhere. So this is kind of like the first framework that everyone can agree to, to use in their own methodologies and their planning to create cyber solutions, cybersecurity solutions out there. When these SAE standards are being created, there's that roundtable that allows representatives from the car companies, from suppliers, from researchers to collaborate or arm wrestle, as Lindsay puts it, to work out common solutions like existing tools and methods to use when designing, verifying, and validating vehicle systems. And the SAE standards are basically living documents that can adapt to a changing landscape. 
hundred years ago, we created standards for wooden wheels that were on vehicles. Well, you know, that's kind of like a standard that's really not going to evolve very much. But anything related to electronics today certainly is a live document. And, and these documents, these standards are revisited and re-revisited. Even a living document, though, will have some missing pieces. Security requires a sort of vigilance and a constant prodding for weaknesses. For a document to lay out best practices, document writers need to know the vulnerabilities that they're dealing with. And security professionals need to find them first. Defenses often involve a collaboration between independent security researchers and the OEMs, a relationship that Stacey Jane says took some time to form and establish trust in. Just ask Chrysler, who had to learn bad news from two dudes with matching tracksuits. In the beginning, there seemed to be a bit of a struggle to get the industry together with researchers. They weren't really sure how to react to them. Uh, now we're seeing a lot more collaboration. So the industry is definitely interested in learning from people who have an extensive security background. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's still the automotive industry, so they're still trying to gain a competitive edge like any other company in any other industry. But they, they've opened up a lot in the last few years, and uh, you can tell they're really taking it seriously and wanting to bring in whatever knowledge they can. Just about all the Tier 1 suppliers today have cybersecurity teams now. But one challenge when protecting any technology from cyber attack, you have to keep things a bit secret, says Lindsay. Part of the problem is from our public view is that no one can really say what their state of the art is because that would give the black hat guys uh, really information about what the level of defense is out there. The bad guys are always looking for something that will be able to get around your best defense. So really, you're only as good as the last hack. With strong relationships between researchers and manufacturers, with comprehensive automotive standards, and with emerging technologies, the connected car has plenty of protection against attacks. But is it enough? Or more specifically, do industry pros like Stacy Janes feel safe behind the wheel? The, the thing about connected vehicles right now is I don't think we have the scale to make it financially viable for them to be attacked in a malicious way. And I think by the time that scale is there, they will be caught up technology-wise. So you feel safe as long as there's progression. When we do get scale and we don't have the backup for it, the security backup for it, then I would start getting concerned. Security is about supplying a resistance to a force coming from another person based on their motivation. So you can take away their motivation or you can apply a resistance that's higher than the motivation that they have. And that's security in any form and cybersecurity is no different. So as long as the industry, you know, properly maps that out and stays with it, I have confidence in that they'll be successful. And how about Lindsay, a semi-skeptical journalist? Does he feel safe behind the wheel? The vehicles on the street right now are better than they were a year ago, and certainly better than back in 2015 when Miller and Valisek did the G-Pack. But the, bad, the black hat guys, the bad guys, are also improving their capability, their knowledge. There's a body of information out there for anyone, good or bad, to use. Books like The Car Hacker's Handbook, written by a lab researcher named Craig Smith in 2016. The good white hat guys, the good guys, know, they have an idea how, how far the black hat guys are going. They also hire black hat guys. And this is very important in the industry where suppliers will have seminars, OEMs will have seminars. There's hacking competitions. So there's a, a body of information that's out there that is used by the industry, both privately and publicly, 
to kind of discern what level of threat are we at right now. But again, there probably will be big hacks in the future. Everyone tells me that. And you're only as safe as you were yesterday, so to speak. No one knows what the next one is going to be. And the attack services will change again as the vehicles themselves change. As cars evolve to become autonomous, for example, security teams will need to figure out how their new technology components are open to attack. Whether you have a self-driving car or a car requiring a driver, the hacking basics stay the same. Perhaps your safest vehicles now, at least from a cybersecurity perspective, are the ones that don't have any cyber technology at all. So if you're still driving around a classic car or a beat-up 1991 Buick Skylark that you drove in high school, it turns out you may be safer than you think. The old ones are the safe ones. You know, if you've got a car that's 15, 20 years old, you really are kind of hack-proof. The newer the vehicle, the more attack surfaces and attack vectors uh, are on that vehicle. There's a cat and mouse element to security. A hacker finds a vulnerability, the manufacturer fixes it. The hacker finds another way through, the manufacturer fixes it again, and on and on and on. Perhaps the best demonstration of the tenuous relationship between hacker and manufacturer began in 2016, when a Chinese white hat hacker group known as the Keen Security Lab managed to remotely hack a Tesla Model S. The car, unwittingly, connected to Keen's malicious Wi-Fi hotspot, and the Keen team then had control of the controls. Once the Tesla connected, the hackers were able to open and close the car's doors, slide the seats forward and back, open the sunroof and trunk, move the side mirrors, and turn the windshield wipers on and off. They could also interfere with the car's braking system. Tesla pushed a fix, an over-the-air software update that, among other safeguards, patched up a vulnerability in the browser. But a year later, in July 2017, the same researcher group found a way through again and gained control of Tesla's vehicles. The hack involved tricking a Tesla driver into accessing a malicious website through another Wi-Fi access point. Then the hacker could install their own software in order to gain access to some of the car's features, most importantly, that braking system. Tesla's fix included adding code signing in order to prevent anyone else from uploading software on their system. And you can almost sense the frustration in Tesla's press release responding to the hack. But maybe just so they didn't sound too angry, they ended it by saying, We commend the research team behind this demonstration and look forward to continued collaboration with them and others to facilitate this kind of research. After all, when it comes to security, we need a little help from everyone. And we need as many friends as we can get. This has been an episode of Here's an Idea. This episode was written and produced by me, Billy Hurley, Kendra Smith, and Peter Bonavita. For more information about the technologies featured in today's podcast, you can visit our episode page at techbriefs.com podcasts. Here we'll link to a webinar on the J3061 SAE cybersecurity standard, and we'll also provide interview transcripts with the guests you've heard today. Our podcast page also gives you an opportunity to subscribe to our Here's an Idea newsletter, which provides photos, facts, and follow-ups on the technologies and technology creators featured in each episode. We want to hear from you. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and send us feedback to podcasts with an S at techbriefs.com. Thank you.